Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 8 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. My name's Dan Gold and on each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. This week, the business news has a glint of the 1980s in a storyline that would be synonymous with J.R. Ewing, Sue Ellen, Bobby, Cliff Barnes and Miss Ellie. It's the beginning of November and one story is hitting Canadian corporate news in a greater way than others. And it's, it's really surprising to me with so much great news happening in the corporate world. It's the story of the Rogers family, the Rogers Corporation, the boardroom kerfuffle, let's say, Paul. It's lovely to reconnect on this latest episode. I don't even know where to start with this one. Family businesses, corporations, it can be a mess. It can be it can work really well. And and so often we do see it work well that when it doesn't, it really stands out as big news. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And, you know, it's, it's one of the uh, things that families who are successful in the world of commerce need to be monitoring and to really be cognizant of and get, I would say, solid, solid, experienced, deeply wise advice on this stuff. Because when, as you put it, it goes wrong. It really goes wrong. And the Rogers family is the most uh, recent uh, uh, iteration of that in this country. You see it, uh, you know, one that uh, strikes me as being particularly prominent some years back was uh, the Eaton family. Uh, Timothy Eaton had this uh, grand desire. And this is probably the root of all of this stuff. Uh, the patriarch, the founder, I guess not necessarily a patriarch, but that's generally uh, been the case in the stories we've covered. Uh, has this urge, an irrepressible urge, to live beyond the grave. So they know they're going to die because they're simply human, but they want to figure out how do I control my empire that I built here on planet Earth after I'm gone. So they create these trusts and arrangements that are very complex, and then uh, they leave them in the hands of the kids. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. There is a fantastic film to watch on this. It's called The Ultimate Gift. And it has a pretty seriously good cast in it, but it is uh, very, very instructive. And now you see this uh, HBO series right now, Succession, which is, uh, you know, getting all kinds of attention. So clearly, this is a topic that fascinates, but it also is disruptive because it does really weird things to what goes on in the world of commerce. So here's kind of some of the, the minefields that you need to look for. These families uh, have figured out over, you know, lots of legal years and stuff like that, where they've got plenty of lawyers working on it, where they can hold small chunks of the company, but they're vastly powerful shares. So they have, you know, they can maximize the, the income by selling off a bunch of it, but they retain control because they have what they call super shares or golden shares or whatever you want to call them. The Ford family was one in the U.S. that saw that happen. And you remember in the financial crisis in 2008, uh, the U.S. government bailed out Chrysler and uh, General Motors. Ford couldn't take the money because if they did, they would have had to give up the trust. And then the Ford family would have lost control of the whole bank, shebang. So they get a new CEO, they bring the guy over from Boeing, they say, fix it, right? Get us through this thing. 
and in the world of stock, I mean, it was a spectacular win because the stock fell to like a buck and a half or something. And then if you were, if you had enough courage to buy in at that, you made an absolute fortune because it came back, you know, roared back and they pulled it off. But you see these, these trusts where, uh, you know, the families end up controlling the company with relatively small interests in them. And the reason that anybody even does that is they look at it and they say, well, Clearly, whoever started this business has a lot of financial and commercial acumen, and I want to ride that. So I'm prepared to let them have control because they obviously know what they're doing, and I want to ride on that, that train and make some money on it. So you see a lot of family-started companies that work like that. And uh, this one uh, is the classic of when you create a structure like that, it's all cool until the family starts fighting among itself. And uh, when the family members start moving in separate directions, those trusts come into play, who votes them, who owns them, and the rest of the, the investors are just kind of collateral damage. They really don't get to participate very much. It's sort of, uh, you know, pretty fun to watch. I mean, it's uh, the kind of stuff they make movies out of. And, uh, you know, there's always the the bad guy in the white hat and the black hat and all of this business. And you can decide which which team you're you're rooting for. But it doesn't really do a lot of favors for uh, the business. And probably the guy in Canada who is maybe North America, who's really the best, un- who understands this more effectively or, or more deeply than anyone is Tom Dean's from Toronto. He's, he wrote a book called every family's business, and it really is centered around how do you organize succession? And his view of this is really quite straightforward. Your job as a business owner or founder is not to pass the business on to the next generation, but in fact, to pass the value of that business on to the next generation. So his argument is don't worry about passing the business, pass the wealth. It keep the wealth in the family, not necessarily the business. He, in, in his own example, he said he was third generation uh, of serial entrepreneurs in his family, and uh, he sold the fourth family business that they started. So they would start them, sell them, start them, sell them. And uh, he's got a lot of really interesting and intriguing ideas on how you position companies to maximize their value. And he's really brilliant at this stuff. If if you're interested, you can go to uh, the Martin Charlton website and uh, take a look under uh, blogs in the the business section of mynewsroom.ca. So that's mynewsroom.ca. I've done a couple of interviews with him. He's really insightful. You can uh, listen to those and get some really great ideas on, you know, his perspective on this stuff. But uh, in order to be successful, the ones that I've seen, uh, I, I, I wrote a book on the Hill family in Saskatchewan, and uh, they're among the most uh, successful. They're, uh, you know, entering the fourth generation. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of uh, observations you can make from this. Uh, I think of the Richardson family in Winnipeg. They're uh, similar. They've, I think, got seven generations. So they've obviously made it work. The Rogers family, not so much. Ted tied this thing up, and now the kids are fighting, and they're all trying to get control because they all want to be the boss, and they all want their, you know, they got their elbows up in the corner. But but here's some of the things that I've, as a writer, a business writer, have observed. One, when you transfer from one generation to the next, you should make sure that the incoming generation actually earned their spurs outside the business. So they should leave the family enterprise, go out into the real world, prove that they are capable, that they have to make their own level of success. And then when they come back, they actually, you know, people will salute them. Otherwise, 
you don't keep good people. If they know they can never get to the top because they don't have the right genes or the right bloodline, the best people will move on. So in order to attract really solid, strong, talented people, you need to be able to demonstrate to them, if we do put a family member in charge in the next generation, rest assured, they're going to have uh, proved themselves somewhere else. So it isn't just that you were, you know, what was the line I heard about uh, about Rogers this go around is uh, he was born on third base and thought he hit a, a triple. And, you know, it's the silver spoon thing. And so, uh, you know, I would say that's one thing you can measure uh, the quality of a family business on is did they send the next generation, the, uh, you know, the offspring uh, to see if they could prove themselves somewhere else. And, and I'm not sure that happened in these. And I remember watching the Eaton family when uh, Timothy was gone and, and he tied up, you know, they've got that Eaton center down on, on uh, Blur Street in Toronto. And uh, they just, he just, it's, the name is carved in stone, you know, Eaton building and uh, Eaton center, whatever it is. And, and Timothy wanted that to live in perpetuity with his name and his statue. And you go rub the foot, the, the shoe and, uh, you know, polish it up and that would bring good luck. But, uh, you know, retail has not been that great all the time. And so the kids were incapable, un- not allowed, simply just not allowed to sell any of those assets. So they had to ride the spiral of failing retail. And it looked like the kids were idiots and Timothy was the genius. When in fact, it was the other way around. The poor kids didn't have a chance. So they ended up trying to start another business. They set up a side business to see if they could at least salvage something out of their own business lives. And they partnered up with the Bassett family in Toronto and they they created Bayton, which was you know, acquiring CTV in the country. Now they don't have it anymore, but I mean, they, it was an attempt because simply the family enterprise was so tied up, they couldn't use those assets to do what normally you would do, which is there's wealth there, there's value. You might parlay that into another line of business. And uh, so it's it's always this note of immortality is not something we should pursue, whether it's, you know, uh, in a religious context or in a uh in a business context, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe not the religious side. That's what you do pursue with that. But but on the business side, no, it's not the same. You ain't the church. So uh, when the business is, when you're done, the you know, let the next generation do with it as they wish. And in Saskatchewan, uh, the classic in all of this is the family farm. And we've seen this uh, generation's intergenerational transfer. And I remember talking to uh, to someone back in the 80s when we were, we're in a drought, not unlike what we're experiencing right now. And, you know, farming was a very difficult process. And the government of the day created something called the farm stress line, where farmers who were in financial distress could phone and they would have a conversation. And I remember talking with one of the people who was answering the calls, right? And they usually were at night. So the busy schedule was in the evening. It was overnight. And this was sort of the characterization of the typical call. Uh, Phone rings. It's a 40-something-year-old man, usually, had a bottle of whiskey in one hand and a rifle in the other, and was trying to decide, you know, what to do. And, and it was interesting. The observation that came from, from this one was that they were never really concerned about losing money. The, note, uh, the notion of going bankruptcy was not, uh, into bankruptcy was not the issue. It was, I'm the generation that lost the family legacy. 
uh, you know, great grandpa came over here and homesteaded and lived in a sod hut and uh, survived through all of that stuff. And I can't make it. And I'm sort of the loser of this bloodline that loses the family farm. And, and you think about how powerful that is, is the responsibility that is attached to a family enterprise. That's where I think Tom Dean's wisdom is so solid here is that don't worry about passing the family business, worry about maintaining some sort of wealth and then pass that along. So the wealth can be contained in a vessel called the family enterprise. There's no question you can pass the business on, but you don't necessarily have to. It's not the only vessel available to you. You can sell the family business, have all of this wealth, pass that on and wait for the next uh, train to arrive. And then you can decide, you know, which, which train you're going to get on and, and uh, the family moves on to the next generation that way. I'm seeing Dallas dynasty and all of these headlines which are drawing parallels to them where we've got this situation that the family and fighting does spread over and we've seen it in smaller enterprise and you know throughout different areas and different sectors whilst we're on this i'm just intrigued for your point of view of you know you highlight very specifically about um, the continuation of the wealth and, and getting past the business. When there is um, the next generation and they are just not interested in running the family farm or they don't have the aptitude for it and the resentment that can build up from the parents to the to the children around this, you're letting me down, we've been doing this forever, it's exactly what you were saying. But how would you even approach you know, putting family first so that you maintain the relationship with your children for those who don't want to continue the family business. Yeah, it's 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 a good point. So, but I'm, I'm going to just maybe split a hair with you here that I think you need to add one more level to this, which is it's not just a parent to child. It's also siblings. So uh, if Grandpa sets up a business where second or third generation is three of us, five of us, whatever. Uh, odds are we're not all going to play in the business. We have different lives. Uh, we don't all have the same skill sets. I remember talking with one Saskatchewan family business owner. Uh, there was originally, uh, you know, multiple siblings who started the business. And then the next generation had it. So each of those original founders had created a, a company that held their proportionate number of shares. And the second generation, uh, not all of them played in the business. So there was some who weren't in, some who were out. And there was a level of resentment, I think, that came from those who were out because most of the profits from the business were plowed back in in growth and they never got a dividend where the other ones were at least getting a paycheck. So they ultimately had to sit down and here's, here's the philosophy they worked from was no matter what we do in this business, we cannot ruin the family Christmas dinner. So, uh, you know, family first, business considerations came second, and they're really just, they were monetary. They weren't emotional. So, uh, he, you know, to a degree, there has to be a certain level of ice water in your veins that sometimes business decisions need to be made, and they're not always fair and equal. And uh, there's something called a Canadian Association of Family Enterprises Cafe. They produced a book that I thought was really quite effective. It was called uh, uh, Fair and Equal. And uh, if you're 
you know, family farms are a really good example. If you're passing it to the next generation, you might have uh, three children, one of whom's going to farm, the other two are not. So what you do is you uh, figure out the value of the enterprise and you divide it up by three and uh, the two that are not going to farm get a check and the third one gets the farm. Uh, the problem is that the third one who gets the farm also gets the debt that was incurred to pay the first two checks. So two get cash, no risk. The third one gets all the risk and all the debt. And yeah, you have an enterprise, but you know if you have a year like this and this is your first year to play, you're probably out of business. So yeah, everyone got an equal share, but they were not treated fairly. Uh, and so uh, that you know, as you dig into this, you begin to realize Rogers is just a microcosm of a much deeper, wider story of family enterprise and and when you point to tv shows movies and books that are written about this topic clearly there is a lot of human conflict to play here and that uh, this it looks pretty pretty easy on the front but uh you know if you talk to people in the business world who who dig into this they will always always caution that uh a successful enterprise in the in the hands of the first generation does not constitute a successful enterprise in the hands of the third generation, and the you know there's a kind of a rule of thumb which I think is flippant and not accurate, but the rule of thumb is uh, third generation usually blows it. Uh, so it kind of goes like this: uh, Grandpa sets up the business, works hard, twenty hours a day, yada yada. Uh, next generation comes in, saw that at the uh, you know grew up in that environment. And uh, there never really was any money to go around, so uh, kind of executes the same way and has a high degree of success, builds on what grandpa started. Third generation, you know, second generation had had a degree of success, so third generation has nice cars, they go to the lake for the summer, they didn't see this hard work ethic thing that comes along, and then they don't really have the same uh, royal jelly that the, the previous generations do. I'm not sure that that's fair, but there's... You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. These things come from somewhere. And, uh, you know, in terms of Rogers, looks like it's the second generation that's blowing it up, not the third. Paul, a fascinating area to look into as ever. Um, just tell us uh, of stories that you've seen, of journeys that you've observed. Those who have been through turbulent times, who have survived it and come together as a family, have we seen any really good examples of this? Yes, there are. Um, uh, you know, there are real successful ones. Uh, you see some of the uh, the European dynasties, uh, you know, that sort of blue blood. Uh, the one that, that stands out for me is probably the Richardsons in Winnipeg. Uh, they've been around for a long, long time and uh, have been made a success of it. So whatever it is that they do, and I don't know what it is, I've never really spent any time inside you know, or interviewing them or anything like that. I, I don't know what it is they do, but whatever it is, it works. <laughs> Paul, as ever, thank you so much for leading us on this episode of Saskatchewan Matters. Thanks very much. Talk to you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share the insights that power Saskatchewan with friends and colleagues. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Thank you.